I, I want you to know that uh, today we have something a little bit unique. I have a dear friend of mine that's been coming to this church for, uh, for several years, and she is, you all know her, you, you, you know her if you've gone to church here for any length of time, because she usually comes up here to bless us with her magnificent voice. She usually comes in and sings. But today, God is asking her to put her net on the boat, so to speak, and she is gonna, um, she's going to share some incredible insights, and, and she's going to give us some passion. And uh, when she and I get together, I was sharing with the first service, when she and I get together, we're, we're like, you know when toddlers get so excited, they're like, that's how she and I are whenever we talk about the kingdom of God. And she's going to share her story today. And if you don't get excited after you hear this, you might need to take your pulse. So um, if you would please welcome with me my dear friend, Angela Winston. They like you, girl. Okay, so talking is not my thing. Well, some people say, some people say that's not true, but, <laughs> but anyway, we're going to, I just want to share a little bit about your giftings and stirring it up. And I want you to be encouraged to find that one thing that God has put in you. The scripture I'm using is 1 Timothy 4, 14 through 16. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may appear, be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourselves and those who hear you. I want to break down this scripture, uh, kind of sharing a little bit about my own life. Some of you may know, and some of you, probably most of you don't. I was born in Carson County, Texas. I am the youngest of eight. My father died when I was nine. Uh, My mother was an alcoholic. She passed away in 1998. At the age of 12, my mother remarried, and we moved to uh, Lawton, Oklahoma. So I was in junior high. I was 12. I uh, was talking to a friend that I just met, and we were talking about the electives that we wanted to take. So we said, let's take choir. That's an easy course. (laughs) Maybe we can get an easy A. (laughs) I didn't take it because I knew my giftings. I just thought I was taking it because it was easy. Little did I know. Um, At the age of 15, I became pregnant, and I had an abortion. I slipped into deep depression. It was a dark, dark place. I was full of shame and guilt. I was suicidal. I would cry every night, and I would just ask God to just please help me. Just give me the will to live. I didn't even know how to, how to do that. And I would cry out to him. The next time I went to school, I had a teacher. Her name was Mrs. Charles, and uh, she was my teacher for six years. And no, I didn't flunk. (laughs) That'll be six years. of. She was my teacher for six years. What happened was that she got promoted to the same high school that I was at. So I had her for six years. 
During the age of 15, when all of this had happened, she noticed that something was different in me, that I wasn't that happy girl that she, she used to seeing. And um, she asked me to stay after school. And she asked me what was going on. She said, I noticed that you're not the same. Something has changed. And I didn't really want to tell. She said, you don't have to tell me, but I just feel that I'm supposed to help you. That next day, I mean, she, got, she became my mentor. She asked me to sing at her church. See, she knew me for three years before because she knew that I had the gift to sing. And she would tell me all the time. I didn't really believe it. So she would pour into me. She had me prepare to compete in, um, you know, competition, solos, duets, trios, choir. And what happened was, as I began to practice for, at these things, uh, there was a switch. Something happened in me. Instead of me going home all the time being depressed and sad, what happened was is, uh, I began to pour myself into what I was doing, my gift. That scripture that says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continuing them. For in doing this, you will save yourself and those who hear you. That was a part of my salvation. Um, we moved to Utah and, um, that was where I learned about more about obedience. When we came to Utah, I began to cry to God and say, what do you want me to do here? For one thing, <laughs> it is 0, 0.0 plus 0 under 1.0, no black people here. <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, so that was a little bit concerned. And there was very little Christians here. I'm like, well, what in the world are you wanting me to come here for? <laughs> But, you know, God began to open up the door, and I asked him, and I said, what do you want me to do? First thing he said, I want you to take voice lessons. I obeyed, and I did that. Next thing he told me, he said, every time you go somewhere, I want you to learn some songs, and if anybody asks you to sing, I want you to be ready. And I just carry them in my pocket, and I would go to my vocal coach and do my vocal lesson. He would always have somebody there and say, sing us a gospel song. Here I go. I pull it out. I was obedient. It would be two people, three people, just a few people, and I was obedient. Then he asked me to come to his mother-in-law's funeral and sing How Great Thou Art with him and another lady. I did that. After that, God said, I want you to learn that whole song, three verses. I'm like, oh, three whole verses? <laughs> Can I just sing the chorus a couple of times? And so I learned those, and because of that one act of obedience... I have sung in 56 LDS meetings, singing that one song, How Great Thou Art. God is good. All the experience that I have had with God is because he was pouring into me and showing me what my gifting was, and I began to use it. I was going to a church, and I was leading uh, on the worship team, and then I uh, sung a special. And there was this one little man in the audience. I had never seen him before. He'd never been there before. After church was over, I uh, was talking to some other people, but he just stood right in the middle and just like he was waiting on me. I finally went over there to him, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, you don't know what you got, do you? You have a voice from God, but you don't know it. You don't know what you got, do you? 
I'm telling you, that just hit me in the gut. I couldn't think of nothing else but them words. You don't know what you got, do you? You don't know what you got, do you? <laughs> but see, because I was being phony. I wasn't really accepting my gifts. I was like, oh, yeah, kind of. You know, I'm like just nonchalantly. And so uh, I went home and I just began to pray. I couldn't wait to get home and get quiet. I'm like, wow, God, I mean, what was that? What are you saying? And I knew that he was wanting me to begin focusing on what he had put in me. We're all called upon it and we are anointed to do whatever it is. We all have one thing at least. I began to cry out to God and I said, okay, God, I, I say yes, I'm going to take it seriously. See, I began to take, pour in all these other little things. I started adding on and just dumbing down the music and just adding things. And one day I was driving in the car and he said, you're being mediocre in everything and excellent in nothing. And I'm like, well, how, how am I going to be excellent? What do you want me to do? Focus on that one thing. And I began to do that. God began to open door after door after door. I was blessed to uh, sing election night in Austin, Texas for 35,000 people for Bush election night. God, I'm telling you, God is so good. I uh, sang in 12 venues in the Olympics, opening for Brooks and Dunn, Train, Lifehouse, and Kenny Loggins. And believe this or not, this is really funny. You probably think it's funny. I got a call from the director of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. <laughs> I forgot to share this the first service, but he asked me to join. <laughs> and I'm like, I said, you know, I, I kind of, you know, milked it a little bit. I say, oh, so I thought it was a, you had a waiting list. He said, oh, but I'm the director. I could get you right in. I just kind of milked it a little bit. And then I said, but you know, I'm not Mormon. I'm a born again Christian. And he said, well, I'm the director. <laughs> I didn't take that one. I passed that one up. But I said, but I would be glad to come and sing a song or something like that. And, uh. But I'm telling you, I, um, I sang a duet with David Archuleta, Mitt Romney's home, Senator Hatch, Governor, USANA con Convention, Jazz Laker, Jazz Portland Games, five concerts, three CDs, Women Republican Convention, and much, much more. And I'm not saying that to brag, but I'm bragging on our God. <laughs> Sometimes I think we just be waiting on God. Sometimes I think he's just saying, whew, I'm just bored. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> I wish some of my people, my children, would get up and do something. We all have one thing that we can do for him. And this scripture is one of my favorite. It says, let me find it. John 15, 8. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. If you ain't doing nothing, you ain't going to get nothing. Well, Y'all know that song, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. <laughs> you got to have something. <laughs> so I just want you to know, I want you, the, the time is now. If you're part, even if you're part of this church, this is home. It begins here. You use your gifts here. You build upon that in your community, on your job and wherever you are. God has called you. Are you listening? We always make excuses. What if I had said no to all those things? Well, no, I'm not ready. And I used to start to say, Lord, I'm waiting until I lose weight. Well, I'm still waiting. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, um, but God used me, and he would call me, and he said, I knew what size you were when I called you. Don't make excuses. 
Don't say my plate is too full. I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. My children. You know what God told me about my children? Because I, I have children. I said, uh, God, it's just, ooh, it's so much. How am I going to juggle all this stuff around? And he told me, he said, you know what the best thing you can do for your children is discover your, your gift, use it, fulfill your dream, and teach them to do the same. That's the best thing you can do for your children. Let them know who their God is and that anything is possible. So I just want to encourage you today. We're getting ready to have a Christmas concert. We need some help. If you want to assist, I will have a clipboard over here somewhere. I was over there. Uh, But I want to encourage you. We're doing something new this year. We're having more of a production style. And we're excited about it. The program is taken care of. Use your gifts. Invite people. People are waiting on you. Music is the easiest thing to invite someone to. So stir that gift up. Use it to glorify God. And let's get some things done in the kingdom. Amen. I know y'all are disappointed because she didn't sing, but guess what? She's going to come up here later. Yeah. She's going to bless us with a song at the end. It's a little little preview for the Christmas concerts. Speaking of the Christmas concerts, you know, this year we really want to make it an entire family thing. We don't want to just have it just be about the band or the musicians. We want everybody to get involved in this. We really, you know, it's not, the, the reason that we do the concerts isn't just so we can kind of entertain people. It is really so that you can invite people. And so we're, we're The tickets this year are $5 each, and what I would like to ask you to do is really be praying about who you can buy some tickets for and invite them to come with you. And and at the end, Angela is going to be up here, and if you have something that you feel like the Lord is asking you to do, like she said, the program is all taken care of, but there are so many different elements and aspects that go into doing a production like that. So you can talk to her later, but... This is our opportunity. Like she said, you know, we're doing a little mini series now um, called Find, Tell, Bring. And I stole it from Eric and Eric stole it from our friend Joe up in Spokane. But it's, it's taken out of the Bible and it's taken out of a passage I'm going to get to in a minute. But it's, it, this week we're focusing on telling people about God's love. Because as I said earlier, I feel like God has such a bad reputation you know, people think he's this ticked off, annoyed God who's so disappointed in you, you scum. That is totally, totally, 100%, completely the opposite of how he sees you. It says that he delights in you. It says he dances over you with joy. He sings over you. He watches you when you sleep. For those of you who have little kids or you've had children, one of the sweetest things is just watching them sleep because they're so quiet and they don't get in trouble. It's beautiful. <laughs> but yesterday, uh, the young adults, we went, we went I'm, I'm not saying that I'm a young adult, but I went with the young adults. We went down, down to the Glendale area and we served a Thanksgiving meal to over 400 people. We partnered with the Dream Center. And as we were serving, I, I just got this picture of the body of Christ. And like Angela was saying, you know, we've all got one thing 
And, and I was seeing, you know, when you go to a restaurant, there's the host or the hostess, and then there's the, the waiter or waitress, and there's the chef, of course, but there's so much more involved in it. It starts out with farmers who grow the food, and then there are truckers who bring the food to the particular locations, and then there are people that prepare it, and there's so much more that goes into it. And I was seeing this, this yesterday, and I just had this vivid picture of the body of Christ. There's so many different aspects and elements of ministry. And every single person in here, I know that you, you look at a person like Aunt Angela and you think, I, I can never do that. But don't you love the fact that she stands up here and she's completely vulnerable? She's completely honest about the struggles and the suffering that she went through. You know, she's not just standing up here going, well, I am pretty amazing, and <laughs> even though she is. I mean, God has given her so much favor, but it's because she said yes, yes, to whatever it is that God's asked her to do. And saying yes to something means saying no to something else. And she's continued to say yes. And that's what, we're hoping that the Christmas concert, that you can just figure out some way that you can be a part of it. And particularly, I mean, some people are intercessors. Some people pray. You know, some people are servants. Some people show mercy. Some people are encouragers. Some people are leaders. Some people are administrators. You know, some people just have great personalities and they're great with people. And, and those are the kind of people that, you know, should be greeting people. And the people that are really good with, like, figuring things out and paperwork should be doing paperwork or whatever it is that they do. <laughs> that scares me. <laughs> you know, we all have something we can offer for the kingdom of God. And I'm not just talking about the Christmas concert. I'm talking about walking in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you've been given. I'm talking about being exactly who God created you to be. And the Bible says he's already made the path straight. He's already pro provided the opportunities. It says he has prepared good works in advance for us to do. All we have to do is say yes. That's it. We don't need to make it happen. He's the one who's going to open up the doors. And he wants every single person who calls him by name, every single person to be fulfilled and satisfied. And the Bible says either you are for him or you are against him. There's no gray. So if you're not for him, Guess what? Yeah. No nudging people. So I want to ask you today, are you a farmer? Or are you a truck driver? Or are you a sous chef? Or are you a chef? Or are you, are you a host or hostess? Or are you a waiter or waitress? You know, every single aspect of, like, okay, imagine you're going to a restaurant. Imagine you walk in and the host is a grouch. That's probably a mismatch of skills. Maybe that person should be back in the kitchen peeling potatoes or something. <laughs> or let's imagine you get to the table and 
the, the waiter or waitress is rude to you, or you wonder if they've washed their hands. Think about what that does to your experience. Yeah. Or imagine that you get your food and there's a cigarette butt in it. Yeah. The thing is that everything that we do, it says that we should do it unto the Lord. And I imagine this, okay, I'm going to lose my reward here, but I just want to share. <laughs> so, so yesterday, um, as you know, we're, we're working and just get, preparing the food and running the food and everything. And, and there was this one table there, and this is at an elementary or a junior high school and and, you know, there was this one table, and I was kind of wiping it down, and I kind of was like, ah, good enough. And then I was just like, no. If Jesus was going to sit at this table, how would I clean this table? I just thought, it's not good enough. Like, I really, and so I went back. So once again, I did lose my reward, but it was worth it, because you're going to get something from that, right? Whatever you do, imagine this is how you would treat Jesus. You know, there were the, what would Jesus do bracelets? This is, how would you treat Jesus bracelet? I don't have one, but don't you think that's how we should act and that's how we should treat other people and, and that we should be fully who we are instead of doing something that, that's, that's not what we're created to do. And now, I, I'm not saying that if you're already committed to doing something, you should just bail. You should be a faithful person too and find someone who's good at whatever it is that you're not enjoying or whatever. Does that make sense? Okay. So I just want to ask, where, what is the one thing? What's the one thing Jesus is talking to you about? In John 1, chapter, or verse 40, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who heard what Jesus said and then followed Jesus. He said yes. That's his first yes. It says, Andrew went to find his brother, Simon. And he told him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ, which means the Savior, which means the one who can save your soul. And then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. You know, there are those of you, you've said yes to Jesus, but that's where it stopped. You haven't found someone that you love that you can tell and bring them to Christ or bring them here and we'll tell them about Jesus. You know, we, we are commanded in the Bible to preach the good news, to tell people the good news. We're commanded. And today, I, I, I don't want to be indulgent, but I do want to share with you the story of one of the greatest evangelists that I ever had the pleasure of meeting. His name is Eric Van Rie. I want to share the story with, with you about him because he was such a great example of this. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just stand up here and talk about it. He lived it. For those of you who don't know, Eric Van Rie was my husband of 28 years, and he passed away a year and a half ago. We moved out here from the San Francisco Bay Area to plant this church with three other families. And he's with the Lord now, so he's good. 
But when he was here on earth, I'll tell you, he was a man of passion for the Lord. So I kind of want to tell you the story. I'll back up a little bit and, and give you a little background on me. And I, I'm, I'm sorry if you've heard this story a bunch of times, um, but it all weaves in together. I was raised in a, in a home where we went to church every Sunday. But then when I got to college, then I, I uh, on the outside, had it all together. I was a straight-A student studying philosophy and music and you know, I, I toured with a world-famous choir, and on the outside, it looked like, like I was pretty together. But behind closed doors, I was a pothead. Um, I was dealing drugs. Uh, I was very promiscuous. I was a bulimic. I was a kleptomaniac. I was a compulsive liar. I mean, I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. And after, um, after I graduated from college, I went on a choir tour. And with just two concerts to go, it was a six-week choir tour. With two concerts to go, I um, had an episode. I thought I had a cerebral hemorrhage. But it turned out it was, it was just meningitis. But I I was in Norway, I was by myself, and I literally was laying there on what I thought was my deathbed. And I was forced to examine my life. And I was forced to ask myself, if there's a heaven, or if there's a hell, where would I go if I were to die right now? And... The scale tilted pretty firmly to the side of hell, which was terrifying to me. And I cried out to God, and I said, God, if you let me live, I will serve you. And then the enemy had a plan B, and he brought a man in to distract me, and then I became involved with him for about three and a half years. But ultimately, after I backpacked around Europe, for nine months, looking for the meaning of life. I mean, because the thing is, I had, I had studied philosophy, but that didn't answer any questions. All it did was ask more. So that was even more confusing for me. So I backpacked around Europe, and when I got back, I ran out of money, and I got on my knees, and Jesus revealed himself to me. Suddenly, I, I understood. I understood what it was what the gospel was, what the good news was, was that I was a sinner and I was separated from my maker and that I could not save myself. I was helpless to save myself because I tried and I was at the end of myself and I cried out and I said, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for everything. I've done because I knew enough about the story of the gospel to know that Jesus paid the price on the cross for my sins and for your sins. Amen? Amen. And, and from that point on, I'd like to say that I was completely transformed and, and then I just became the church lady. <laughs> Isn't that special? But I didn't. It was a, it was a process it was a very long, long process for me because 
I mean, I was working at a Christian bookstore, but I still got stoned when I got home. Still was living with my boyfriend. I was still, you know, I had a lot of stuff going on. And that's why I have so much grace for people because I just believe in the, in the faithfulness of the Lord. And I'm not saying, you know, if, you're, if God's really convicting you of something, you know, stop. But I just, I just believe that God is a God of grace and he's a God of mercy and he woos us and it's his kindness that leads us to repentance because the more that I was in the world the more that I longed for him. And, and the more that I started to give myself fully to him, the more he set me free from all of those things that were just leading to destruction and death and pain and emptiness and brokenness. And so I can say, God changed my life, radically transformed my life. And so I was living in the Silicon Valley, and my brother, who was a cocaine addict, hitchhiked out to California, and he moved in with me and the family I was living with, and he started working at Guitar Center. And he would come home every day and tell me about this hilarious guy named Eric, because they'd always do, like, role-playing in the morning. They'd always, you know, like, imagine a customer comes in. And And so then Eric was very, very funny. For those of you who don't know him, he was one funny guy. And he... And so he would entertain everybody. And uh, actually, Pete, the guy that was standing right here, he and Eric had mullets, and they worked in the keyboard department. And so I walked in to hang out with my brother, and um, my brother Jay. And so Jay introduced me to this guy named Eric, who he had been telling me about. And Eric was like, hi. And he ran away and just ducked away. And I was like, what happened to him? Well, after I left, he told my brother, he goes, so... I've decided I'm going to marry your sister. (laughs) My brother's like, first of all, you don't even know her. Second of all, she probably wouldn't date someone like you. And Eric's like, well, why not? And he goes, well, because she really only dates Christians. Because my brother had gone through that, the whole situation with me. She only dates Christians. And Eric goes, she wouldn't date a pagan like me? And brother's like, no, probably not. He goes, okay, I'll become a Christian. Ha, ha, ha. Well, joke was on him. Because two days later, I was able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with him. But one of the things that I did in preparation, anybody remember cassettes? So there was this certain style of music back then called improv, and it was piano improv, and there was a guy named George Winston. Well, there was a Christian pianist named Tom Howard who did kind of the same style, And so I bought a cassette of Tom Howard, and I'm not trying to get weird on you, but I I put my hand on it, and I said, Jesus, if you could just send out your spirit as soon as he listens to this music, let your spirit just speak to his heart. And then I gave him the CD. And two days later, I got to hang out with him and share the good news with him. And he came radically to Jesus, dramatically to Jesus. And from that point on, he went into Guitar Center the next day. There was a spiral staircase. He climbed up the spiral staircase. He goes, I'm born again and I quit. (laughs) And he proceeded to share Jesus with each and every employee. He did not leave that 
place until he had shared Jesus with everybody, including Pete, who unfortunately was his roommate at the time. So Eric told him again and again and again and again and again. And of course, Eric thought it was going to be like this lightning bolt experience like he had. So he was telling, okay, this is what's going to happen. So all of a sudden, the spirit of the Lord is going to come on you. And it's and he tried to, tried to tell everybody that that was how it was going to be. But that's not necessarily the way it is. God knows our needs. He knows who he created us to be. And he deals with each and every one of us, knowing us intimately, knowing everything we think before we even think it. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows what we're going to do before we do it. And he created us for such a unique purpose. And clearly, the purpose for which he created Eric was to share the good news. Because he did share the good news with everybody. Everybody. I mean, anytime we'd get on a plane, I'd be like, oh, that poor guy over there. Because <laughs> Eric was really smart. I remember one time we did a short-term mission to Holland. And on the way there, we prayed. And we said, Lord, send us people that are hungry to hear about you. And we, we took a whole group of us. We were actually going to do the, the ministry in the hash bar. Isn't that ironic? And so we took this van with a whole bunch of us, and we got out of the van, and all of a sudden these two guys on bikes, not missionaries, but these two guys on bikes came up, and they said, what are you guys doing? And we said, well, we're going to go tell people about the love of God. They're like, what? Tell us about that. Can you tell us about that? And we did, and one of them, Gregorio, he was from Italy, and he told us that he had been praying that God would give him a sign of who he was. And we ended up leading this guy to Jesus, and he hung out with us for the next three weeks in Holland. It was so cool. I don't know where he is now. I'd love to see him again. But the thing is, we, we were asking God, send us people that we can share with. It says in Ephesians 6, 19, pray for me to ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan, that the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. What he means is it's for everybody. I'm in chains now. He's in prison as he's writing this. I'm still preaching this message as God's ambassador. This is the part I want you to get. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Now, this is Paul the Apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's asking for prayer that he can be bold so he can share the gospel as he should, as we should. We should pray. You know, the Bible doesn't really say that you pray for the non-believers. Jesus prayed for the believers. It says in Acts that we should pray for boldness, that they prayed for each other for boldness. When we were in Holland, they misunderstood, and they thought we were praying for baldness, so none of the men would pray. <laughs> But let me just say this. If you have missionaries that come to your door, do not turn them away. Do not be rude to them. Do not despise them. They are not your enemy. They are young people who are doing the best they can and who are doing what they think they're supposed to do. Do not be rude to them. Don't slam the door in their faces. The point is not to win an argument. It's to win a soul. And the Bible says, whoever wins souls is wise. Those missionaries, when they come to your house, invite them to come in. Don't offer them coffee. 
Offer them soda or milk or juice or feed them. They love it when you feed them. But just ask them questions. Ask them about their lives. Ask them what they do. Ask them their story. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't just start preaching at people. Jesus got to know them. He loved them. He asked, he asked questions. You know, there's a, there's a story in John chapter 4 about the Samaritan woman. She's a, okay, it says earlier on, it says, and, and Jesus knew that he had to go through Samaria. Now, at that time, Jews were not even allowed to go there because that, they were Gentiles. It was an unclean situation. It was like I told you when I was in Israel, there was an Orthodox Jew and he owned this little business, and um, I was in there, and I was talking to him, and I went to shake his hand, and he wouldn't even shake my hand. And that was what was happening in the culture here. First of all, Jesus wasn't even supposed to be talking to women. You know, there was a prayer. There's a prayer. Thank you, God, that I'm not, that you didn't make me a woman. You know, women were very much looked down on. And so here Jesus is, the king of the universe, and he's talking to this woman. She's come out in the day, and he pretty much reads her mail. He knows that she's had five husbands and that she's living with a guy that she's not married to. And he asks, you know, he sits there and has this conversation with her. He's setting the example for how we should be with people. And we should just hang out with them. Sometimes we have to step out of our comfort zone. Sometimes we should talk to people who, who we're not necessarily similar to. I mean, this was, this was a pure case of racism. You know, that the Samaritans, I mean, that the Jews couldn't even talk to them because of, of their race, essentially. And how much foolishness happens as a result of racism and of cliques. And, you know, the, the thing is that we are separated by such a minute amount of DNA that determines what our what the the skin tone is and the hair color and all that's such a minor part of it. It's it's about souls and step out of your comfort zone. Talk to somebody that you normally wouldn't talk to. You know there was a, a barista one time and I walked in just minding my own business and when I walked in the Lord said I want you to tell him that I love him. And I was like, oh. I mean, because this was a pretty tough guy. He was like, you know, kind of tatted up and kind of rough. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm like, hey, um, so I just wanted to tell you that the Lord loves you. And he started to cry. And he was a diabetic, and, it's, and he had had a diabetic episode that morning, and he was terrified. And just telling him that God loved him. It just, it just, I don't know what happened with him. But I do know that I did what God told me. I said yes. I just opened my mouth and said yes. And it said that this Samaritan woman, after talking to Jesus, it said she left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. That's like Eric. That's like, I mean, I, you know, I think, I think you can kind of look and go, well, yeah, come on, of course you tell people about Jesus because you're a pastor. Of course you're going to tell people about Jesus. But I was doing this long before I became a pastor. 
Eric and I just did it all the time, and we saw so many people come to Christ. Another kind of weird thing that I did when we first moved out here, I went to Costco, and they were selling Bibles, and I picked up this Bible, and I put my hand on it, and I said, Lord, can you please save someone, and can this please be their Bible? And that, I mean, I just, I just knew that I needed to pray that in faith. And then I ended up giving it to someone, and six months later, they ended up coming to Christ. And it was our very first convert in Utah. Chris Stringfellow in the house. <laughs> I mean, you know, God might call you to do some weird thing. You know, he might call you, call you to carry around tracks in your pocket so that if someone asks you to sing, you'll do it. You know, I mean, I'm sure that that was uncomfortable for Angela those times when she's like, okay, I'm going to sing to three people here. It's not exactly 35,000. You know, I mean, you know, God sometimes asks us to do crazy things. You know, but we need to tell everyone because we, we can't stop with saying yes to Jesus and then never telling anyone about him. Do the people at work think that you're LDS? Do they know that you're a believer not because you're a jerk? Because you're like in their face about it? But do they, can they see the difference? Do they even know that you're a Christian? It's like we have to step out of our own little cliques and our own little comfort zones and our own little prejudices and step into other people's worlds like Jesus was willing to go talk to this Samaritan woman who he, he really, he was breaking down a lot of boundaries there. The, the gender and the race thing and probably, I don't know, all kinds of rules that he wasn't supposed to talk to her. But he's like, no, she needs, she needs to know about the good news. And so he shared it with her. And also ask people questions. People want to know that you care about them. And if you're asking them questions, pray that the Lord would give you opportunities to tell them about his love. Know how to share the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is that there is a God and he is good. And he is forgiving, but he is holy. And therefore, we who are sinners, because... If you don't think you're a sinner, anybody not think they're a sinner? Anybody in here? Okay, good. If you've ever lied, you're a what? Liar. <laughs> if you've ever stolen anything, you're a what? Thief. If you've ever lusted after you, anybody, you're adulterer. If you've ever killed anybody, we would like to know your name. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever dishonored your parents, you're you're sinning against, these are all the 10 commandments. These are the, the top 10 and they still apply. But all of those things are just to point to us that we cannot save ourselves, that we are helpless without a saving God. And therefore God sent his very own son to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could live and that we could be reconciled with our maker. That's the gospel. You can share that, weave it into your story, but people need to know that God is a God of love and forgiveness and compassion. And you know, the Bible says that we should always be prepared to give an answer, but to do it with gentleness and respect. 
And that's, you know, I mean, I think it's crazy. It's like, what's the first thing you do if you see a good movie? You see a good movie and you're like, hi, I want to tell everybody, right? Or is that just me? You want to tell somebody or you discover a new restaurant. And somebody's like, yeah, I'm not sure where I should eat lunch. You're like, oh, I know, I know this new restaurant, right? Don't we? Don't we do that? Or a new TV show or whatever. And it's like, you want to tell people about it. It, it should be so much more with the eternal things, with heaven and hell in the balance. Because I know people don't, they don't like to talk about hell, but Jesus didn't shy away from it. And he said, there is a hell. And if you are not for him, you are against him. And as we all know, you are not promised tomorrow. You cannot wait and get your life right later after you've sowed your wild oats or done whatever it is. You don't know. You don't know. It is appointed once for a man to die, and after that comes the judgment. And yet, we say yes to Jesus, and we don't tell anybody. And I'm not saying this to give you a guilt trip. I'm saying there needs to be an urgency in us. We need to get on the same page with God, and he's given us these gifts so that we can share with people so that we can, we can see his kingdom expanded, so we can see people who are broken, see them healed and restored. That's the whole point. It's not to just do some religious activity. It's to see God transform a life like Chris and Amy. If you haven't heard their story, you have to hear their story. It's ridiculous. It's a made-for-TV testimony. Seriously, it could be a series. I'd watch it on Netflix. <laughs> so there, there are good examples and bad examples of evangelists and I think we've all seen bad examples evangelist just means one who brings good news that's all that means we've seen the bad examples I've seen a lot of bad examples but be a good example you know it's not enough to just be a nice person right it's not enough to just be a moral person because I have a lot of people in my neighborhood that are really, really nice. And they would bring me a meal if I needed one. And they would come and rake my leaves if I asked them to. But that's not what determines if we go to heaven or not, is if we're nice. There's going to be a lot of nice people in hell. Nice. I, I mean... I just think we have to understand the gravity of the situation. And now, Christmas time. People are open. People are willing. I mean, I mean, let's just dispel that whole myth that it's the hap- happy- happiest time of the year or whatever. It's not. It, people get emotional. It stirs up deep stuff. It stirs up triggers and scars and brokenness and emptiness and failed expectations. And I'm not trying to be a pessimist because I'm really actually very optimistic, but it's true. The holidays are rough. People are broken. People are confused and empty and they need solutions and they need to be saved. They need to be reconciled with their maker, with the lover of their soul. And he's given us the charge to do it, that we should not, here it says, 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. And this 
Laying hands on just means approving someone or, or uh, confirming their gift. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Now get this. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. I was going to leave this part out because it seems so negative. But it says, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. You know what? You might be rejected if you share the good news. You might be persecuted. You might be ostracized. You could even be fired. But that doesn't matter. Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Because you know what? If you're for him, he will take care of you. He's good. He will cover that. He will provide for you. But Jesus gives us such a clear example of going into uncharted territory and telling people the good news. And that's the opportunity that we have in our lives and now specifically with our concert. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that your, your word is our guide. Your word is true. It's it's. It gives us everything that we need for life and godliness and for knowing who you've created us to be. And, and Lord, for those who are in here and they're not necessarily sure what that one thing is, I do pray that you would be speaking that to them. Lord, I pray that you would begin to show people what that gift is that they can be using to expand your kingdom and to share your love with others, whether it's um, baking for someone and telling them about you or whether it's serving someone or just praying or speaking boldly, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would, you would bring us all into the next season and into the new season. We just pray, God, that you would knit our hearts together, Lord. I pray that you would expand our influence, Lord, by um, using the, the gifts and the talents that we have and with the concert, Lord, we ask that you would bring just the right people and you would save many people, Lord. You would bring many people to know you and to set them free. In the name of Jesus, amen.